Okay. Uh, Zivon did not like it. <laughs> no, just let, just shoot from the hip. Okay. Okay. Hello, and uh, welcome back to Famous Last Words, a movie-making, film-making, cinema-appreciating, and absorbing podcast about movies and stuff. A podcast about films. That's us. I'm Andrew. I'm Teresa. And we are... Filmmakers? Oh, no, we're married. Sorry. Yeah, we're married. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. we're filmmakers. But not... Oh, we're not related. I'm sorry. I forgot this bit. It's all right. We've only been doing it every single episode. (laughs) Today, we're comparing two movies, as you may have guessed from the description of this podcast. Two Sidney Lumet courtroom dramas, 12 Angry Men and The Verdict. 12 Angry Men follows Henry Fonda's character, who plays a juror who just wants to talk it out. Impact. On the point of that night, a man's life is at stake. Henry Fonda. I'm just saying it's possible. And I say it's not possible. Twelve Angry Men. I want you to watch this because I don't want to have to do it again. I'll make myself about six or seven inches shorter, okay? It's about right. Maybe a little more. Okay, a little more. Look out. It explodes like 12 sticks of dynamite. Death is on their minds. Life is in the hands of their 12 angry men. With 12 chances to kill, here is the most explosive motion picture in years. Well, that trailer was something. Yeah. You should, you should watch this trailer if you uh, are a human. Thanks for reading it out loud for Yeah, us. I thought that would be helpful. This, this movie relies a lot on reading text on screen. <laughs> um, you know, a classic of cinema, reading the, what's going on. Um, yeah, so 12 Angry Men is one of my favorite movies. I saw it a long, long time ago. It follows... 12 angry men who are in a room deliberating whether they send a, a, a kid who may have murdered his father to the electric chair. And they this movie really, really heavily relies on the idea of reasonable doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, because the reason they don't or will send him off is like they just need to establish that there's a reasonable doubt that he didn't. Yes. And Henry Fonda is the only one that doesn't want to put this kid away. Uh, for death and he wants to talk about it and everyone else is kind of convinced that you know he is and they kind of slowly talk it out yeah they spend um, the whole movie convincing them to change their mind yeah the uh this is Sydney well, Sydney Lumet's first things he'd been working in television before this and it works really 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 well I think the um there's a couple of things that Sidney Lumet was really nervous about, such as the the backdrops outside the windows looked really, really fake, and he was really worried that would mm. uh, ruin the movie. Um, and so was Henry Fonda. But uh, when Henry Fonda saw it, he, he's never, he never saw the whole thing. He said it was magnificent and really, really liked it. Mm. And uh, I think, yeah, this movie is just a tour de force of acting, blocking, and camera work. And there's very little music in this movie, unlike the trailer. There's more music in the trailer to this movie than there is... <laughs> In the movie itself. Yeah. I mean, it's an amazing achievement to film any movie in one room with 12 characters around a table and make it interesting. Right. Which it is. It is very, very interesting. I 
you know, there's a lot, not much to be said about this movie that hasn't already been said, but like that they, you know, the camera sl- starts at a high angle and slowly becomes lower and lower over the course of the movie, and it plays on some of the on the uh, presumed stereotypes about people. I think this movie is also really interesting because I don't know if you had this in your notes, but they didn't film. So the room was really small. The set was really small that they were filming in. And sometimes characters are like acting by themselves to achieve the close up that they need. There's no Mm -hmm. one. They're not acting against anyone. And I think that's that's really interesting. Yeah. And really difficult to do for the actors. Um, They did a great job. And it's really intense when you get that those nice close ups. Yeah. Agreed. And I think that this movie... um, So when you're watching it, the first time I I watched it growing up, but then when I was a filmmaker, I I saw it again. And the thing that always occurs to me about this movie was the only thing I really focused on was the cameras at a high angle gets lower and lower and lower. And I tried to do that. So the early shorts we made is like start the camera at a higher angle and slowly tilt it down to like change the power dynamic. But the thing that I... That the real lesson I take away from 12 Angry Men now... In another, or there's, you know, it's a masterclass. So lots of lessons in this movie. The one I think is really important is filming reaction shots and how to use those in a group setting. You know, it's mm-hmm. something that um, we'll talk about another another future episode of the show, um, or I will. Um, but there's lots of reactions that kind of gauges you how to feel. Also, Henry Fonda is fantastic in this movie, of course. But like the entire ensemble is really really strong and lead. Uh, L. Lee J. Cobb mm-hmm. is is of course excellent. Yeah. When you're talking about the camera angle, can you explain what it means to start for this film at least? What it means to start in that high wide and then get lower and lower and closer to the characters? Because I had that written down, but I think you should explain like what yeah. they're doing. Yeah. So when the camera is above your characters, it's above their heads or you know, looking down at them. They feel small. They feel insignificant from like a visual literacy standpoint. When you shoot from above, you feel like people are small and powerless. It's like the God perspective. You're looking down on them. You are actually looking down on them. And when you are eye level, you're more likely to be sympathetic. And then when the camera, because you're seeing eye to eye, you are you're you're looking at them how your head looks at people. And when you shoot lower. You're looking up at someone; they're feeling more powerful. It's just uh, the what our brain does when we perceive those images. Mm-hmm. So when we see something low angle, looking up, think of uh, Michael Bay and Bad Boys. Like when he needs his hero shot, they're all shot from a slightly low or dramatically low angle, standing up into the <laughs> shot, rising to become powerful. Um, yeah, yeah, and so yeah, I had noted that for this film too because I think it could be both the director and the editor. It just depends. Um, but the director and the editor, <clears throat> or the director in this particularly Sydney Lament, does a really great job of picking the moments to be closer to the emotion. And that can be, like you said, the reaction shots. It's not always the person speaking. Um, and picking the moments where you're a little bit further away and you're seeing, you know, the whole table or a two shot or something like that. Like, Sometimes that is very, very clearly written into the script and the storyboarding, and sometimes that's found a little bit in the edit. Um, but I think this, again, like you said, a masterclass in how to do that and how to take your take your audience through a story when you're in like one space and all you have are the actors in front of you and the words that you wrote. Yeah, I think that um, 
you know, I would I would love to someday have like a do a proper table read of this mm. movie with like act, different actors playing it. If you could get twelve actors together who hadn't seen it, I did this in my ninth or eighth grade drama class. You except, guys weren't even old <clears throat> enough to be on juries. Except we changed the name to Twelve Angry Jurors because there were women and there was no women allowed on juries during this 1950s, time. Fifties, yeah. Until like the seventies, probably I think yeah. it was crazy. Oh, no, it was a state law. So it was overturned federally. Oh, right. And so New York just hadn't implemented, like, yeah, but at I, the time you could have women sit on juries, but I don't forget exactly the law. Mm-hmm. But they were able to, but for some reason they weren't here. Probably because this was written well before that. Women got excused from juries a lot more because they had to take care of their families. Mm-hmm. So it's an antiquated know. misogynist well, law. We should fact check this. We can but fact it's check. Still... Tune in next week to get fact checked. <laughs> it's crazy that we... Anyway, not the point. I mean, yeah, not the point. Um, and uh, we're comparing this with a another Sidney Lumet classic from 1982, some 25 years later, um, The Verdict. His name is Frank Galvin. Four cases in the last three years. He's lost them all. He drinks. This man's scared to death to go to court. Frankie, listen to me because I'm done with you. I got you a good case. It's a moneymaker. The Archdiocese is called up because the case is coming to trial. This is our chance to get away. I want to see that you get that chance. Court exists to give them a chance at justice. And is that what you're going to do? Maybe I can do something right. It's a generous offer, Mr. Galvin. So, yeah, the verdict is uh, stars Paul Newman and Charlotte Rampling and uh, uh, James Mason. And the movie is about a a woman who has who aspirated in her threw up in her anesthesia when she was giving childbirth and choked on her own vomit and died or is brain dead. And this is an open and shut case. And Paul Newman is a ambulance ambulance chasing lawyer who's like really talented, but maybe kind of a fuck up. And um, he tries to do the right thing, but ultimately doesn't care. And he's kind of got no morals and no reason to live. He drinks like a fish early in the movie. And this movie to me, like it's really interesting. These two different movies of that Sidney Lumet directed in the courtroom because they both are very different, but they're also extremely similar. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that this, that the verdict is I never didn't see it until like this year. Um, Paul Newman is like maybe the greatest movie star of all time because you know I think people get into acting because they think movie stars are going to be something else that they're not. But Paul Newman is so vulnerable in this movie and he's so complicated and he's like he's trying but he sucks. He's celebrating but he's failed. You know, mm-hmm. he, it's yeah. I thought this movie does a really great job of. Like, the characters in both movies are excellent. What did you think of the verdict? Yeah, I really liked it. I mean, you were watching it in the background, and I was doing some work, and then I sat down maybe 15 minutes in and, mm-hmm. like, got sucked in because it's just, it's really gripping, and it's, like, a good courtroom thriller, and, Paul, yeah, Paul Newman is amazing. You're really pulled in by his kind of flawed character, but you're rooting for him the whole time because he does have heart, but, like just going about things wrong sometimes. So yeah, it's a really, really good film. It's 
again, masterfully done by Sidney Lumet, like just so many great classic filmmaking techniques that, you know, you have to rely on good actors. There's things done in the wide, you're holding, you're not cutting a lot. Like these are filmmaking techniques that I prefer to watch sometimes just has this really nice flow and pacing and, you know, nothing fancy going on visually. It's just very solid and you feel like you're in the room, which is great for this kind of courtroom drama. Yeah, there's, there are three moments to in this movie. One of them, anyone can do. You can do it with your iPhone if you're shooting a scene. I think it's amazingly well done. It all has to do with performance and camera blocking. And so he's got this slam dunk case that the archdiocese is going to, is they represent the hospital where it's happening, and they're going to pay out. They're going to pay out a huge lump sum because they don't want it to go to trial. Again, it's Boston in the 80s, similar to Spotlight, uh, like the archdiocese ran everything, mm-hmm. runs everything. And they're extremely powerful. They have the best lawyer, played by James Mason. And he's just super excited. Uh, Paul Newman's just super excited that he's going to he's gonna get his, like, you know, his 30% of the, of the check. And it's going to be this huge amount of money, you know, like $200,000 or something. It doesn't matter. $150,000 is a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the scene before he's writing in his notebook, he just puts down like $200,000 encircles it. And he's like ecstatic, essentially. And he goes to take pictures to help articulate his case to the archdiocese. He's going to have a meeting with them one-on-one. And it's so before he goes to see the archdiocese, he stops and takes these pictures. And Paul Newman, it's just done on a camera on a tripod. And all you hear is this like ambient sound of the hospital. And he's taking pictures of her. And you don't see her really. You don't see what the pictures are. You just see him taking pictures and he moves around and he takes another picture on these Polaroids and you, you have the flash and the camera and, you, and that sound. And he takes a picture, he takes, pulls it away from his face and you look on his face and it changes. Each picture he takes, it changes. And you can see him mm. joining the fight. And it's just an amazing moment of like, you know, I think a lot of people would do that with a lot of face acting or, or you can do so much with so little just by change, like if you're looking at something, change, think of the way you look at it and you don't need to do much. And it's, I think that's like an astounding moment in this movie. Yeah. And it's, it's also a really good example of the thing I was going to bring up. Like my number one favorite thing about this film that I aspire to do is that he does so much in scenes that could have dialogue and they're completely nonverbal and you're communicating an entire either emotional reaction or like exposition, a plot thing or a conflict between characters. And you don't even have to say a word. And I just think that is really hard to do, especially when you're writing a script. Um, and this film does it really well. And that's an example of it. And then the other example that I was thinking of is later in the film, his girlfriend is basically double-crossing him with the... Charlotte Rampling, yeah. Yeah, with the lawyer, um, like the archdiocese lawyer, and essentially... She's getting what? Why does she do it? I can't remember. She does it because he. She needs money to start her life again. Mm-hmm. After her, she had like a really bad divorce. Yeah, so she's getting paid off. The checks in her purse. Paul Newman's a right, sidekick his, 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 guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean he's he's Paul Newman's former boss, who's like a lawyer who's near the end of his career. Yeah, he discovers it. Tells Paul Newman. Like, all that's in dialogue. And then when he goes to confront his girlfriend, that's all done non-verbally. From an extremely high angle. From a really high angle. And then, you know, 
don't condone this, but he essentially slaps her and like, there's no fighting, there's no words, that's just it. And you know, men, that's di- different time. You probably don't want to portray someone getting slapped in the face by a guy, but like a woman. Um, but any, but I mean, the point is like, that scene could have been him confronting her. Why did you betray me? Like, why is he her paying you? Her all. trying to explain, make up some lie, try to f- save face. Like, it could have been this whole, whole thing. Mm-hmm. And instead, it was done in, like, two minutes, and it was really well done. And you're in and out, and that's kind of like... And you feel it. You feel it harder than, I think, if you had sat in a conversation with them arguing back and forth. And it feels like you're powerless. Mm-hmm. You're powerless to... He's powerless that, that you're, he, you know, there's nothing, even his girlfriend is against him. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. even she's in the pocket of James Mason's character. Um, and that's what that high angle, it's a really interesting, it's such an interesting choice and it works so well. Um, the other two moments that are on my list, and I think what he does really well in 12 Angry Men and in the verdict is he knows when to hold the shot. There's a shot in 12 Angry Men where they're, they've done a vote and they've gotten nowhere and it's just the old man and Henry Fonda that that have voted, have voted. Uh, or no, no, sorry, it's just Henry Fonda, and they've gone around once, and they've it's still only Henry Fonda against the other eleven, and they do another vote, and it's this time they're going to do a silent ballot, and they they fill it out, and you hear the juror number one reading them out, and you're on, they stay on Henry Fonda, and he's listening to them, guilty, 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 and then one of them comes up not guilty, and you can see it in his face, like he's he's elated, but a moment like that in the verdict and then they did only one take and it's a held shot it's like so it's a pushing in shot it's when he does his final plea to the his closing arguments and the light is fucking phenomenal <laughs> it's like this it looks like a ray of sunlight is coming into a, a high window and like parts in shadow parts in sunlight and he stands and he's walking in and the camera just pushes in um just cranes in and he's just there and he's burying his soul and it's like i don't know if you're an actor and you're like, what? who's a great actor to watch? A lot of people will go watch On the Waterfront. A lot of people will go watch Chaplin uh, with Robert Downey Jr. You need, I think you need to watch this movie because he does so much with so little. Mm-hmm. And it just pushes them. They did one take of it, and, it's, and that was it. Yeah, that was the scene when we were watching, and I was like, fuck, we need to do a podcast on Sidney Lumet because he's a genius. He and is. This and is his amazing. Book, and his book is amazing. If you haven't read his book, Making Movies, it's easy read. It's not too technical. He it was older when he wrote it, so he looks back on these things. And it's just, I don't know, it's a fantastic filmmaking book. Mm-hmm. Um, the last shot from The Verdict that I think is extremely powerful, and he couldn't have done this with 12 Angry Men because the technology didn't really exist in this way to do this move. So the jury has come back, and I'm about to ruin this movie. Spoiler. Um, and the camera's really high-angled on him. And it's, again, there's so many moments in this movie where the camera's at a high angle and he gets fucked. Mm-hmm. You know, like, mm-hmm. and right before that is the scene that you're talking about, that with outside the club in New York and the camera's way up high and mm-hmm. long telephoto lens. And you're like, oh, Paul Newman's about to get fucked. Um, <laughs> like he's about to lose the case and it seems like everything that has gone wrong like they've thrown out the testimony of the of the of the key witness that he was able to find the woman who forged the paperwork and they're supposed to disregard it all and the camera 
it comes in and they're like, essentially, yeah, is there a limit to how much we can make them pay? And they're like, he's like, no. And the camera swoops down and it's like it cranes down and it goes from a high angle to a low angle. And, and it's just like, if you talk, the way I'm talking about it makes it sound cheesy. It fucking works. Yeah. I don't know why it does, but it does. That's true. No, he does a really good job with like visual cues and you think, you know, they've set up a pattern where you expect a certain result and then this one they like flip it and they come down literally with the camera. It's very interesting. And it, and it brings, it changes the social convention too that I think is really great. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, The Verdict is a movie I can't recommend highly enough. I think it's nearly a perfect movie. Yeah, same. I, I mean, I know 12 Angry Men is kind of the more famous one, but I actually like personally enjoy The Verdict more. I think it's just like more my style, my speed. I like, it's very entertaining. It's very got like a little bit of a mystery to solve which is good yeah and all the all the bit parts are so good too like mm-hmm. the guy who plays the the judge is like a slime ball you know he mm. he he's doing everything in his power to make this to, to fuck ball new and over and um james mason is so good too i know i mean he's so good always but like... james mason is for some reason, criminally forgotten because mm-hmm. in this movie, Bigger Than Life, North by Northwest. Yeah. I mean, if you've seen Bigger Than Life, that's a movie you should go check out. We could probably do a rewatch episode about that one because that was another movie I'd never seen, never heard of, and was just completely blown away by it. Yeah. Yeah. He's, and we don't, I don't know if we talked about this on the podcast or not because I'm old and I have a bad memory. Um, <laughs> But in, the, in the, the original, the second Star is Born with um, Judy Garland and James Mason. Holy fuck. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. We just do a whole episode on James Mason. Yeah. The gush, <laughs> gushing about James Mason. Um, and we'll do it. We could do a Star is Born episode sometime, maybe. Ooh, triple, triple quadruple. star. Quadruple. Well, there's well the, we've seen three. We haven't seen the fourth. Maybe right. we'll watch the fourth. Yep. The first, the original, the original. original one. We have a mailbag. <gasps> Ooh. Okay. This there's no sender. This was anonymous. No sender. Like it anonymous. Just, it was anonymous. It was sent to our website. If you'd like to send us questions, send us. Is this a real question? It's a real question. <gasps> no, I yeah. mean, sorry, I shouldn't sound so shocked. <laughs> okay, go. Do you find when you are watching something, you can shut off your filmmaker brain and just watch it, or are you constantly judging? Oh, no, sorry. And are you watching critically? Mm, I have an answer for this one. I know right off the top of my head. No. (laughs) It's a little... Yes. It's a little bit of a yes and a no. It determines what kind of mood I'm in for what kind of film because I think I do have trouble turning off my critical brain. And so sometimes I just want to watch garbage and fluffy things and things I don't have to think about, like the technical and the you know the pros and cons and whatever they're doing like i can just watch it and tune out and enjoy it um and then there's other ones that like you'll suggest a film (laughs) and they'll be like oh i really want to see that but like i don't want to think about it i don't want to (laughs) think i would say that also doing the podcast there's sometimes when we watch things that we know we want to review and i feel like that sometimes plays into our choices of watching things i think i can't turn off the brain too much but i do think so i have a lot of friends who are in the film business film projection business film what like they work in the industry on some level Mm -hmm. um pre uh you know 
monopoly bust of the code so people work in theaters etc and my friends who are like in their 20s or 30s sometimes they say that they're so burnt out on movies they couldn't watch another one period like ever wow. in the rest of their life and i do feel like i do get where that burnout feeling comes from and i think part of that burnout feeling is individual to your personality however i you know we did watch a lot of uh bar rescue i think and that was like us trying to like you know mm-hmm. just take a break yeah have something you don't have to think about yeah although now because we watch bar rescue every time i go into a bar in a restaurant all i think about is bar rescue and what john tapper would do so it's infected my brain in a different way yeah yeah <laughs> john tapper doesn't suffer fools in the restaurant yeah <laughs> we've been in some places that could use his uh touch yeah yep so um, I think you're right. I think I've trouble turning it off, but not as much as you. Yeah. Well, another podcast in the books. Thanks for coming to the end of it with us. There's the outro music. <laughs> we had a good time once again. I'm Andrew. I'm Teresa. Don't forget to get your pets spayed and neutered <laughs> in honor of the late, great Bob Barker. <laughs> <laughs>